John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to You this morning and we want to understand You better. We want to understand the light better. So would you help us, would you shine on us now by your Holy Spirit to illuminate the text, to give us your mind so we might understand it, live it, submit everything to it. We love you, Savior, and we want to, we want to know you more this Advent season and celebrate your light. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. He didn't think it was going to end up like this. Alone, in chains, cold, damp, prison cell. And he starts to wonder, was his whole life a sham? Was it all a lie? Everything he'd said to everybody else, was it, was it deceit? Was he misguided? All those words he used, all the things he did, was the purpose of his life not what he thought it was supposed to be. He was the one that was supposed to come. He was the one that people were calling a prophet. And now his own followers had dwindled. He was the one that was supposed to prepare the way. But it's had it really prepared the way to prison? An execution? Maybe that's just what you get when you challenge a king. When you call a person of power out on a moral issue. Maybe that's what happens. The person of power locks you up. All of that led him 
to call a few of his followers that were left together. And he said to them, I want you to go to him. I want you to go to him and ask him this. Are you the one that was coming into the world? Or should we expect somebody else? And so he sent his followers and waited for a response in the darkness of his doubt. I have preached and I have heard preached many Christmas messages on John the Baptist. John the Baptist in the womb, leaping for joy, right? His parents. But maybe I've never done one on his doubt. Because later in his life, the crowds had gone away to an extent. He'd sent his disciples to go with Jesus. He confronts Herod on a moral issue. It gets tossed in prison as a result, soon to lose his head. He wouldn't ever make it out. And in the darkness of that prison cell, he wonders, was Jesus the one I was preparing the way for? Is this how it's supposed to be? I'd like to talk this morning. We're going to spend this Advent season looking at John chapter 1 and talking about how light shines into some of the dark places of our hearts. And today I want to address doubt. How does light shine in such a way that it overcomes our doubt? And so um, I was thinking about it, and and I know there's different kinds of doubters in the room today. And I know that some doubters are really believers. You know, you believe in Christ, you're holding on to your faith, and yet there's There's doubt you're going through. Maybe it's because of a circumstance in your life. Maybe it's an unanswered question. But whatever it is, it's not that you've left the faith. It's just that you're struggling with the doubt thing. But then I know there's others of you here that maybe would describe yourself as a a, a skeptic. Maybe you're an atheist. but, but, But you have big questions about any claims Christ would make. And you kind of doubt it. And so maybe for you it's more of a disbelief than a doubt. But I think there's a good word for you here too. But I just want you to know, I wrote the message with the believing doubter in mind. The the, the doubting Thomas, who I think gets an awfully bad rap. I don't think he's quite as bad as we make him out to be. I think many of us go through the same kind of things. That's my take on Thomas at least. And so what I want to do is talk to you about how light might overcome your doubt, the darkness of doubt. And we're doing it in John chapter 1. We'll pull in some other verses as well. I will return to John the Baptist by the end and kind of finish the circle there. John chapter 1. Number 1. Uh, Let's look at verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came to the Father full of grace and truth. So number one is the Word. How does light overcome darkness? It overcomes it by the Word. Now the Word is a is a way of describing Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. Um, 
the light, and we talked about this last week, the light took on a body, the light took a body and made his home here with us. The Bible tells us, John, uh, 1 John 1 tells us, God is light. He is light. Look at what, what Paul says to Timothy. We could pull that verse up. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, 16. It says, uh, God, uh, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Uh, God dwells in unapproachable light. You know what unapproachable light means? It means you can't get close to it. You can't approach it. it it's so, so bright. And that is God. And so sometimes when we doubt, we deal with a question like this. If God is real, why doesn't He just show Himself to everybody? Why doesn't He just show up, reveal Himself that we can all believe in Him? Wouldn't everybody believe in Him if He just revealed Himself to the whole world today? Maybe you've had that doubt. Why is this invisible thing going on? Why can't we see Him? And maybe you're not going to like this answer, but I, I think it's a good answer. My answer is, he did reveal himself. He did show himself to people. Light, unapproachable light, the kind of light that if you were close to, it would burn out your eyes. You know, it is so bright. But, but in other sense, you can't even see it. No one's ever seen it, or they can't see it. And that light took on a body that you could see. It put on flesh that you could see. God did show up. Ever been driving in Three Lakes as, as the sun is going down and you're trying to make a turn onto the main street and there's all those cars parked, you know, all along the main street there where the restaurants are and everything else. And ever tried to make a turn and the light, the sunset is like blinding you and you can't, you can't even see. And, and, and it's like, I'm trying, I'm trying to see. And so I, I tell my kids, can you see anything going on over there? I'm just taking a shot. I'm, I'm just turning, you know, someday I'm going to go right into somebody. Because you can't see. You've been there, right? I'm not the only guy that's taking a turn on the main street in the, with the sunset. It's bad. Somebody needs to do something about that. You need to call the town of Three Lakes. Tell them to fix the sun issue. Um, listen, that's the sun going down. And, and, and this is saying, I can't even approach the God who is light. It would just burn me. It, it would be so bright I wouldn't be able to see anymore. Like staring at the sun. And it's like in Christ, God takes a big blanket and throws it over the sun to veil that bright glory. So, so we can look at Him. We can look at Him. Now, now, sometimes the glory broke through. That's a transfiguration when, when, when the three disciples saw Jesus on top of the mountain in, in His brightness and His glory. But otherwise, you look like a normal human being. It's a blanket thrown over the sun. It's a good blanket. It veils the glory. And so when somebody says, why doesn't God just show Himself? Our answer is, He did. He did. And all you got to do is read Scripture and see that, that that's exactly what happened. Maybe another doubt that comes up sometimes is, well, I read the Old Testament, and there's some pictures of God in there, some descriptions of God that I find very difficult. God commanding things that I find harsh. And I'm a firm believer that every word of the Bible is true. I'm, I'm just telling you that up front, putting my cards on the table. All the inspired word of God. But 
what I'd like to tell you is right out of right out of John 1. We just read it. John 1.18, no one's ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. No one has ever seen God. Yes, we see some of the commands of God. We see some, some, some of the ways God interacts with people in the Old Testament. And, and yes, I, I, sometimes we find it difficult. I'm not saying it's not difficult. But if you want to know, if you want to see the exact representation of God, this is Hebrews chapter 1 says this, the exact representation of God the Father, you look at the Son. Do you want to know what God is like? Do you have difficulty with some of the things in Scripture? I could take a whole sermon and deal with some of those things, but what I'm going to tell you right now is, the other alternative is, I mean, you should deal with some of those things and look into them, but look at Jesus. That is your exact representation of who God is and what He does and what He says. It's Christ. The Word became flesh. People saw it. And it overcomes our darkness. Number two. Number two is the witness. The witness. Many people, like John the Baptist, saw this glorious light and told other people about it. Uh, this is verse 6. John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man who was sent from God. His name was John. I think it's so interesting. Before I hear the name Jesus in the Gospel of John, I hear the name John. Now, the guy that wrote the book of John and John the Baptist, that's not the same person, just so we're clear. Um, <clears throat> John the Baptist, verse 7, came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. So I love that the Apostle John's really clear here at the beginning. Like, John the Baptist is not the true light. Like, he's not the Messiah. That, that, that's what he's saying. John the Baptist is not the Christ. But he came as a witness to the Christ. And so many people, like John the Baptist, saw the light and they told other people about it and they wrote it down. So maybe you've heard the saying, um, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And maybe you've heard that. And, and that's, <clears throat> sometimes it's given, let's be honest, sometimes we say that so we can shut down conversations that we don't want to have. Okay? Bible says that I believe it, that settles it, you know. Um, and, and I believe that that statement is true. The Bible does say it, and I do believe it, and, and that's it for me. I, I, I get that. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that. But behind the Bible are people that wrote down what they saw. I mean, you could never get away from the fact that, yes, I, I do trust this book, but I know that people wrote their experiences down. You ever had something amazing happen to you and you couldn't wait to tell everybody, you know? Even something bad. Even a car accident. It's like, hey, guess what happened to me today, you know? Uh, or you finally get that buck, you know? Or one of your kids gets the buck and you're like, call on your friends. I've seen you men. I never see you more animated than when you pull your phone out and show people the picture of the buck. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I've never seen men show a picture on their phone like I do when, when the buck is on there. And it's your boy, right? Or your girl. Even that's exciting, right? You know, like, my girl, girl, right? And uh, 
when something like that happens, you've got to tell people. And what we're saying, yes, we're saying the Bible is the inspired Word of God. But we're also saying it was written by people who saw it. And if they didn't see it, they couldn't have written about it. They saw him. And I think that's why, um, if we could put up 1 John chapter 1. Different John. First, I mean, same John that wrote it, but, but different, different book. 1 John 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. We have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father, was made manifest to us. It's like, why use all those sensory words? I saw it. I heard it. And I touched it. Because John wants to go out of his way to tell us, he was here. God took a body. And I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. And I want you to know, we didn't concoct this as, as some legend. We didn't devise this person in thin air. This was a real person. This was the God-man. And then we wrote about it. We wrote about it. Now, I don't know how you feel about the Bible and its uh, reliability, but I wanted to just take a moment, if I could, and just talk about, just briefly, how trustworthy the Scripture is. It's not just that we have eyewitnesses. They wrote about it, and it was transferred appropriately from generation to generation. I want to talk about the, I, I could talk about the Old Testament. I want to talk about the New Testament because it talks about Christ. If you look at ancient writers and how many manuscripts we have, this is easy information to find. You can Google this and find this, but I'll give you the uh, website if you want it. Um, uh, say Plato. Plato. You all know Plato, right? Um, he wrote around 427 B.C. Okay, 400-some years before Jesus showed up. And we have a grand total of seven ancient manuscripts of Plato. Seven. Seven. And those manuscripts show up 1,200 years after he wrote them. 1,200 years after Plato died, we've got seven. A bunch of other people you might not have heard of. I'm not going to read them. Um, how about the Roman historian Tacitus? Maybe some of you have heard of him. He actually talked about Jesus dying. right? Roman historian Tacitus. So he lived around A.D. 100. So we have 20 copies of his history books. 20. A little better, 20. And they're a thousand years after he wrote them. So they were copied, 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 you know. But, but eventually the oldest copy we have was a thousand years after he wrote it. How about, uh, Homer? He wrote the Iliad. Anybody had to read the Iliad in college? Iliad? Yeah, some of you did. Um, he wrote 900 BC. 900 BC. We have 643 copies of Homer. 643. And we're pretty sure that what we got is pretty accurate. Uh, scholars say, 95% accuracy of what we've got of Homer and the Iliad. And then you get the New Testament. The New Testament. We have 5,600 copies, ancient copies of the New Testament. 5,600 copies. And if you want to get from the original 
to the copy, like when the first person wrote Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, and then you get to the cop the old copies we have, it's less than a hundred years between them. Less than a hundred years. You're not talking five hundred to thousand, it's less than a hundred. And so scholars estimate ninety-nine point five percent of what we've got is original. We can have we can have a high confidence. And so there's no theology that we believe that's based on some sort of, well, was that an A or is that a, is that a T? You know, it's not like that. 99.5%. 5,600 copies. And, And nobody's really, scholars aren't doubting these other guys, these other old guys we read. So why do we doubt the New Testament? The witnesses wrote what they saw and you can credit the church. I'm going to credit the Lord for preserving His Word for us so that we can have confidence in what we've got. If that's an interesting topic, I could talk to you more about it afterwards. Uh, I've done a little textual criticism where you look at the different versions if there's a, a letter out of out of sorts. In a, you know, it's kind of interesting to do that. But it doesn't create any doubt. There's super clarity when it comes to Scripture. Um. Finally, there's witnesses. Uh, Finally, how does light overcome darkness? It overcomes it with, uh, number three, the work. Uh, That's what I'm calling it, the work. There's the word, the witness, and then there's the work. The true light has shined on you, giving you the knowledge of Christ. Uh, Look at John 1, verse 9. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born of natural descent, not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We have received the light. And so I call your attention again to verse 9, just to look at it one more time. The true light, it gives light to every man was coming into the world. God gives us light. When it comes to doubt, I think the question comes up sometimes, well, how certain do I need to be to be a true believer? To have a relationship with God, to go to heaven when I die, how certain do I need to be? Do you have a cell phone? You ever, you ever, you know, like your, your, your battery's going down, you know? And you get to that like 10% and, and, and you've got a little screen that comes up and says, you know, low battery, you know, got to plug that thing in. And you're like, oh, I'm talking on the phone to my mom, though, you know, and you're, what am I going to do? And uh, and so you try to plug the thing in, but you don't see a plug, you know, and, and it's getting low, 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 low battery. How low is too low to go when it comes to your faith? How low is too low? What if you're at 50%? I could go either way on some days. True or false? Christ died for my sins. I'm 50%. Is it okay to be 20%? But you panic when you get to 10? How confident do you need to be? Is it kind of like um, my favorite uh, Charlie Brown holiday thing ever? You know, the Great Pumpkin, that one? I love that one. I know Christmas is Christmas. I, I get it, I get it. But there's warm feelings in my heart for the Great Pumpkin. But remember, the, remember Linus? Remember Linus and the Great Pumpkin? Uh, when he, when he says, um, if, if the great pumpkin comes, I'll put in a good word for you. And then he says, good grief, I said if. I said if. 
And he says, one little slip-up like that can cause the great pumpkin to pass you by. One little slip-up. And is that the way it is with God? When he died, he was at a good 25%, and I don't think that's enough. Don't think he made it. But this is what we, this is what we struggle with, I think. And we have spiritual heroes that we feel like are at 110%. And I want to be like them. I want to be at the 110%. And, and yeah, we're on our way. As you pray and as you study the scripture, as you spend time with the church, I, I, th- I think we do tick up in the percentages. But maybe, maybe we don't have to beat ourselves up about where our percentage, percentage is at currently because God is shining His light into your heart. Faith is not a solo activity. Can I say that again? Your faith is not a solo activity. God has shined His light into your heart. Do you doubt that? Well, let me show you Second Corinthians. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness. So that, that's kind of like a reference to creation, right? God said, let there be light. And there was light. God could speak and things would happen. That is huge power. And so God in that huge power has shown in our hearts. He shined. Is shown even a word? I don't ever say that. <clears throat> he has shined. He's shown <clears throat> in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's shown in our hearts. That, that faith is not the solo activity. You have a responsibility to believe. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? You are still responsible to accept or reject Christ. It's on you. But God is the one shining His light in your heart so that you might express that faith and have that faith. It's a joint activity. <clears throat> so, I got buzz up here. What's going on? Okay. Um, there we go. Thanks. Um, you know the cowardly lion and the Wizard of Oz? All my examples for this are kind of like spooky, right? Aren't they? Great Pumpkin and now Wizard of Oz. Is that okay? Um, great, uh, the cowardly lion and the Wizard I almost called him the great lion. That was great. Um, <clears throat> the cowardly lion when he says, I do believe in spooks. I do believe, you know. Maybe that's like some of us, you know. Like we start doubting, like I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, you know. But but it's not going to just come from try, you know, I got it. But I think it's a yieldedness to the Lord and saying, God, shine your light. I do believe, help my unbelief. See? That's the disciples said. I want to return to John the Baptist, but I really need a drink. Just water, folks. It's okay. <clears throat> okay. Although if you're here for the Thanksgiving Eve service, we, yeah, never mind. There's some thankfulness. Never mind. Not going to go there. Okay. Um, I said I'd return to John the Baptist by the end. So here, here's how I want to end this. Let's imagine you and I are having a conversation and you say to me, okay, I understand some of the spiritual truths you just said. How light overcomes darkness. There, there, there's the incarnation. Jesus showed up. That should, that, seeing him can overcome my doubt or hearing the message of, of the witnesses can overcome my doubt or knowing it's the work of God. I'm not alone in this faith thing. God is working on my faith. You know, that all helps me. But what do I do right now? What do I do right now? And I'd like to finish the story of Jesus and John the Baptist when John was doubting in prison. 
would you turn to Matthew 11? You need to see this. Matthew 11. Um, Matthew 11.1 After Jesus had finished instructing His twelve disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, He sent His disciples to ask Him, Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Jesus said, Guys, I want you to see what I'm doing. You see the blind man? He can see now. You see the lame man? He can walk again. Go tell John what you saw. What you saw. Go tell him the evidence. And maybe for the doubters, it's so good for you that the breath of fresh air, there was evidence. Go send John the evidence that this is the real deal. But you know what? There's another part of this whole thing. It's not just evidence. Jesus was also quoting Isaiah 42 for the sake of John the Baptist. Isaiah 42 is what we read today in our Advent reading. Would you turn there? I want to show you this. Now, as we read Isaiah 42, we're going to come to verse 7. I'm going to read 1 through 8. We're going to come to verse 7, though. And Jesus leaves a line out when he quotes Isaiah 42. When he says, go tell John that the blind can see, the lame can walk. You know, there's justice for the oppressed. You know, go tell John that. He quotes Isaiah 42, but he leaves a line out. What line is it? And what does it mean? Isaiah 42, 1. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Hey, how many of you read of head to verse 7? You're not following me at all. Okay, Hold on. Hold on. It's too good to miss this. You've got to hear every word. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God, the Lord, says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Here it is. Here's verse 7. To open the eyes that are blind to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I'm the Lord. That's my name. 
I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. What does Jesus leave out? That Jesus came to free the captives and free those from the dungeon, those who sit in darkness. Why not tell John, I came to free people who are sitting in a dungeon in darkness? John's the man, obviously, sitting in the dungeon in darkness. And I've got to think, and maybe it's a good lesson that some verses we don't need to say, even though they're true at, at certain times. Maybe there's a lesson there. But maybe it's a beautiful thing that Jesus, in his love and compassion for John, left those words unsaid. Because the freedom John was going to have was going to come after his execution when he showed up in glorious light in heaven. What would I say to you if you're in the darkness of doubt right now? I'll say three things in application of things you can do right now. Number one, I think you ought to trust God's promise to the reed. I will not break you. I will not break you. That's also Isaiah 42. What what verse was it? Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. And maybe you are the bruised reed. And you've been bruised from I don't know what. Maybe the church. Maybe the world. Maybe physical stuff going on in your life. And God says, I'm not going to break you. Not going to do it. And so God's not walking along, seeing you struggling like a reed, and saying, well, I'm just going to finish the job and just finish them off. He doesn't do that. He strengthens you just enough for the next steps. He won't break you. Number two, when in doubt, invite Jesus to tell you who He is. Ask Him. Ask Him, who are you? John the Baptist got some evidence. Thomas got some evidence. Jesus, show up. Tell me who you are. One of my favorite songs in, uh, when I was in high school, I listened to this uh, Christian rock band called uh, The Prayer Chain. Anybody listen to them? Prayer Chain? Andy. Yes. That's what, that. I take back all that overzealous stuff I was saying earlier. Take it all back. Um, and on their first album, they have this, it's one of my maybe top ten favorite songs. They have this song called Whirlpool. And it's a song about doubt. The song's called Whirlpool. band's called The Prayer Chain. And uh, in that song, he says, the, the singer says, Do you have to die again for me to understand? And then he says, and then he gets to the chorus and he says, So tell me what you mean to me and what I mean to you. And I always thought that line was so, that lyric was so beautiful because I know the Bible tells me what I mean to God. I know He loves me. I know He died on the cross for me. But sometimes I need to know, I need to be told what God means to me. Just tell me what you're supposed to mean to me. I'll get there. I'll get there. Just tell me. When in doubt, ask Jesus to tell you who He is and what He should mean to you. Keep going.
Number three. When in doubt, you keep walking by faith. That's it. You keep walking by faith. And I know you're saying, well, that's kind of the problem, right? I mean, my faith is kind of shaky. That, that's the issue with doubt. you still got faith. And so whatever your faith would lead you to do, keep doing it. Okay? Whatever small thing your faith would lead you to do, keep doing it. Open your Bible up. If it's a verse a day, if that's all you got, you got that. Do it. If you got a few sentences to God, you do them. You say them. Whatever you got, you do it. Keep walking by faith. Because I don't know that there's a magical percentage. I'm at 75%. I know I'm in. No. No. I mean, the Jesus I know, I mean, it's like if you've got a faith of a mustard seed, things still move. Things still happen. God knows the genuineness of your faith. He sees the doubt. And maybe you got to be like Thomas. And you got to wait for the evidence to show up. But show up, it will. You just got to wait a little bit. I still think Thomas gets a bad rap. I think he's like a lot of us who have that mind that's logical and wants to see the reasonableness for why we believe what we believe. And God will meet you there in that place. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Maybe today is a day that you need to respond in faith for the very first time. I will pray for you the doubt in a few minutes, but I want to pray first for those that do not have faith, but today something is happening. I would like to invite you to respond and perhaps pray a simple prayer like this in your heart. Lord Jesus, I have had many doubts over many years. But today things are making sense. I know it's you speaking to me through your word. And so today is the day I confess that I am a sinner in need of the Savior. I confess my sins. I repent of them. And I receive your forgiveness that you paid for on the cross. Thank you for paying the price. And I also believe you're a living Savior. I believe you rose again. And so by faith I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for shining your light into the darkness of my doubt and skepticism. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer today with everybody's heads down and eyes closed, would you look up at me if this is your day? And this is the day you responded for the first time. Anybody? Okay. All right. I want to pray for those who are dealing with doubt. Father, I pray for those who are in the darkness right now and they feel like John the Baptist in the prison. Would you ignite their faith? Would you tell them what you mean to them and what they mean to you? Would you not help them, would you help them not to despair, but to see that their doubt might give way 
to greater spiritual growth and maturity. That they might see doubt as a doorway to getting closer to you as they pressed into it and gone through it. And like so many others, come out the other side and say, I trust Jesus more after having gone through the doubt. May they be like them. Thank you that you won't crush them in the doubt, but that you will give them strength. Father, as we go on from here, many of us have not dealt with doubt in a while. But for us, Lord, our command is from Jude to have mercy on those who doubt. May we be merciful when we talk to somebody that's having real issues with the faith. May we not write them off or give them trite sayings to try to just try to get out of the conversation. May we engage with people that have serious questions about truth and have big doubts, and not condescend, and not look down at them. Help us, God, to engage with them with a heart of love, a heart of compassion. In Jesus' name. And before we go, you can can look now. Uh, One thing I did not say, and I I just wanted to call your attention to it. Uh, You that doubt, I'd say one more encouraging word for you. Right after, in, in the Matthew 11 passage, the disciples question Jesus about John the Baptist. And Jesus says, out of all the Old Testament saints, he says, John the Baptist is the greatest. Remember that part? No one has arisen that's been greater than John the Baptist. Think about that. Moses, David, Deborah, Ruth, Boaz. I mean, there's a lot of great Old Testament people. Joseph. And Jesus says John the Baptist was the greatest of them all. Maybe you need to remember that as you leave today. And not be so harsh on yourself as you work through the questions you have. Let me pray. Would you all stand with me and we'll pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, as we go from this place, may we walk and continue to walk in your light. The light of your presence, the light of your word. May it give us joy. May it give us peace. May it overcome all the dark places in our heart. And all of God's people said, Amen.